I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. It is me, Jay Stevens, your host and our co-host, Seven Stofflet. How's it going? It's good, man. Good. Looking forward to some more interesting conversations there. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. I'm sorry that you're still here. I know you're uh, in contract negotiations. Yeah, always fun. <laughs> always takes longer than you want, but yeah. it is well, what it is. And this is the time of year where guys start getting hurt, teams start making changes, mm-hmm. and they're looking for a guy that's uh, available. Yeah. And that's you. That's right. <laughs> not bad though I've been able to do some stuff I haven't typically been able to do for the past I don't know 20 years 15 yeah, like what? years just go see more family yeah. Thanksgiving at home doesn't happen too often so so that well and unfortunately you had you didn't get to actually do it at home really did you then you have a did your parents leave during Thanksgiving or were they here uh, my mom went back home but um, I mean still just yeah, not just having, being around yeah that's cool yeah uh, today we have a very special guest, Eric Johnson. Eric, I've known you for a long time. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And when I, when, uh, when we were talking about it, I said it's weird because you have like you're like an original Utah success story <laughs> as far as hockey goes. <laughs> and I appreciate you're kinda, that. And the other night, my men's league team played against you the other night, and we were talking. You were getting lippy with one of the guys, yeah. and one of my guys asked me, <laughs> "Like, who is that guy?" I'm like, "Man, you should, that's Who's that jerk." I'm like, "That's Eric, man. He <laughs> like he played at DU. He was a Golden Eagle." And they're like, "No, whatever." Like, I would have heard of him, and that's what I'm like. That's weird that he hadn't heard of you, but that, he's like, you know, 18. That got the thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I am a few days away from 56, so I've been around a while, but uh, I still play. Started when I was nine. I figure I shoot for 50 years, right? i got to keep playing for 50 years, and I don't know. Every, as long as everything goes well, I'll just keep playing after that. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It's not like you're going to quit at 59. No, no, you just got to keep going. Yeah, at what? this point, you just keep going to keep going. You're, you're going to be 57? Six. 56. 56. Well, premature yeah. happy birthday to you. Yeah, thank well, you. Man, you yeah. were in good shape. Well, I yeah. thought you were maybe like a year older than me or two <laughs> years older than me. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, it's uh, playing hockey, you know, skiing, doing active stuff, and having fun and all the things we can do here in Utah. So, yeah. Good. Good times. T- taking advantage of all. I think you're gonna yeah. you're gonna be that guy that's 95 years old and still out there playing. <laughs> well, I actually uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but I went to a University of Denver reunion where I played college hockey. It was the 70 year reunion for DU hockey? So a bunch of guys came back. I think there were around 120, and they had a couple of alumni games. They had a 
under 45 alumni game and an over 45 alumni game, which I played in. There was a guy on the ice playing in the over 45 who was a little bit over 80 years old. Awesome. And there was another guy where they came out in the middle of the game, uh, you know, during the periods and so forth. And they recognized all of us. We all had DU jerseys on and so forth. And there was a guy that they brought out in a wheelchair. So he was clearly over 80 who had come back. So it was pretty cool to be a part of something like that. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And uh, you and I had the opportunity. You, uh, Our kids played together, and then uh, yeah. we were at DU, and you took us back in the locker room. Yeah. Wasn't your name still on the board? You still hold a couple records for something back there. <clears throat> I do, actually. A couple things. Um Let's see. So uh, one of which, my junior year, we had a ton of success. And it, the NCAA was structured a little bit differently. But that year we played, I think it was over 40 games. And I played in every game. And so there were four or five of us on that team that played in every game that season. So we all hold the record for most games played in a season. Wow, yeah. So I was on there for that. And then on that same junior year, they uh, started a new award, uh, the Most Improved Player Award. So I was the first person to receive that award. And when I was back there, they've actually redone the locker room, University of Denver. When I played there, it was kind of below the building, below the ice level, a lot of rafters up in the ceiling, not that nice. But now it's state-of-the-art, really nice, really yeah. high-end, uh, fully modern. and uh, But they still have boards of all the different awards, so I was still on the board. So I thought that was pretty cool. So you played in the old Rainbow Building. Or was it before yeah, that? Yeah, it even? was a convert. It was a, yeah, I've never heard anyone call it the Rainbow Building, but that's a good memory that you have because it did have rainbow colors. And as I understand it, it was a converted airplane hangar. Yeah. So it had about a little over 5,000 seats, and it was definitely a barn. Yeah. Without a doubt. Well, that's what we played out of at the junior college I played in in North Dakota. So North Dakota is, University of North Dakota is a big uh, aviation school as well. And then the junior college I went to is where a lot of people like me that couldn't get the grades at first to go to UND at first uh, would go, and they would start their aviation school there as well. Mm. So both of those buildings used to be airplane hangars. Oh, wow. To the, and that's uh, there's something about that that it just le- lends itself right to becoming a, a, a rink somehow. Yeah, yeah. The school at that time, because I was there from 1983 to 87, and the school was somewhat financially challenged and they had already had a good hockey program and so forth but i don't know the whole story but it wasn't economically strong at that time so you know it was just kind of getting along in the 90s kind of with the whole dot-com era they had a chancellor come in he raised a bunch of money and if you've been to the university of denver campus and the last you know 10 years, you'll see a completely different environment than I was there. It's been totally rebuilt, and it's an outstanding campus. Yeah, it's gorgeous now. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. It's it's crazy because it's just tucked away right there in Denver. It is. It's just off the freeway, and if you don't know it's there, you're not going to see it. Yeah. But if you get off and look at it, it's amazing. It's a huge campus. I've been going over there uh, more lately because, as it turned out, my uh, daughter, long story short, um, ended up going to school there. So she's enrolled at the University of Denver. She's a sophomore, and she's actually studying music. She plays the cello. So it gives me good reason to go back to, that's to awesome. the school and back to the campus. Which daughter's that? Uh, that's Ava. She's my middle daughter. Ava's a sophomore yeah. in college? Yeah, Ava's a sophomore in college. And oh. like you said, you and I know each other's kids and so forth, so that would be a whole different conversation we can have at another time. Yeah. Do a no. catch-up on that. That's, that's <laughs> amazing because that makes me feel even older. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So what I want to find out is – how did you get there? Like, right. you grew up here. You're yeah. a Salt Lake 
guy. I'm a Salt Lake guy. And yeah. you, you, so you have to be one of the first to play the NCAA out of here. I think so. There were maybe a couple more. Uh, you might have had guests that have brought up the name Jeff Nate. He played University of Wisconsin. Um, I think uh, the Ford name, he might have played a little college hockey. I don't remember his first name. There were a few. But um, it's an interesting story, and it's a story I'm glad to share. Uh, I started in hockey accidentally, actually. I played some different sports, uh, so I always liked sports. I grew up in the uh, Olympus High School area right around there. And a neighbor of mine, a guy by the name of Dick Madsen, Across the street, had uh, one day I was over at his house, nine years old. He had his hockey stuff all spread out on the floor. And I was like, I looked at all the equipment, and the equipment looked pretty cool, right? And so I went to my mom, and I said, hey, I'd like to, you know, uh, try this hockey thing. Didn't know anything about it. Back in those days, the Hygieia ice rink was open. I took a week's worth of skating lessons, and I think I jumped in at the squirt level, um, almost quit on those first week of ice skating lessons, but uh, my mom said, well, let's just give it a little bit more, give it a couple more days, keep trying. So as you guys already know, I'm still playing uh, oh. after all that time. But that was kind of how I got into it. The, the more interesting story is, uh, you know, after a couple years of playing rec hockey, I got to the point where I could play travel hockey. And when I was a first-year Bantam, Back in those days, we only had one travel association in Salt Lake City, unlike today where there are multiple associations. That was, in essence, a pretty good thing because all the players at that time all played for one association as opposed to um, different associations where you couldn't keep the talent together. Um, There was a coach there, and he actually ended up being my coach on the first year I played uh, rec hockey our team, which is a classic name I have to share, was the Golden Turkeys. So <laughs> he was my coach. His name was a- Andy Dice. Um, he has a son by the same name. And uh, he was our coach. And he um, was from the South. I don't. I can't remember if he's from Alabama or Louisiana. He moved here because he, had a, he was a research doctor for the uh, Veterans Hospital up there. And I think his son got involved in hockey, and he became a coach, never had played the game, never put on skates or whatever else. So that was kind of the start of it. Well, as, as his son progressed, and you know, after a couple years, he became the travel hockey coach. And in my first year, Bantam, I ended up making the travel team. Well, I won't give you the full story, but um, Andy Dice and a couple of assistant coaches um, guys who were uh, uh, parents of some of the players, uh, Phil Moore, Dad of Maury Moore, some of the listeners might recognize that name, uh, a guy by the name of Beanie, I can't remember his name, a, a host of other guys were assistant coaches. And Andy Dice, who was the coach, he stayed with our group from that first year Bantam all the way through what we called Junior C Hockey back then. And I'll, I'll pause there if you have any thoughts or you want to take the question and, uh, or ask a question there. But he did some really interesting things that led to some amazing success. But rather than me keep going, I'll, well, I'll, I'll pause there. Okay. Well, I just want to know, did he have a hockey background before this? Like, did he? To my knowledge, no. <laughs> he came to Utah, and I think his son maybe found the game. At that time, the Salt Lake Golden Eagles were playing at the Salt Palace. I think he became a fan. They would go to the games, and he was an academic kind of guy. Okay. And I think he started studying the game, and he fell in love with the game. And his son, Andy Dice Jr., 
um, who still lives in Salt Lake City today, became a really good player and had his own hockey goals. And so that's kind of what got him into coaching and what created the environment that was that what ended up happening. Okay, so you're you're. What year do you think this is? Oh well, I uh, let's see. Um, this would be mid seventies, like seventy five, seventy six. Yeah, so you guys something were like way that. ahead of everybody. Way, else. way ahead, way ahead. So here's kind of what's interesting. So um, Andy Dice, the coach, Andy Dice Senior. Um, as we progressed and got older, we used to go to the Aspen Summer Hockey School, okay. which was coached by none other than Badger Bob Johnson Whoa. and a host of his assistant coaches. And back in those days, that was a big deal. It was a big hockey camp. Guys from all over the country came. And it was like 10 days, and you skated three days a week, unlike our camps today, which are like five days, and maybe you skate twice a week or even shorter, right? So we would go over there um, and... Andy Dice Sr. got a lot of exposure to some of the coaches over there, um, guys by the name of Grant Stanbrook, who was oh, assistant Grant, yeah. coach, and he was a huge power skater, right? <clears throat> and he, I, he somehow networked in with some of these coaches, and he started utilizing a lot of what they were doing with our team back in Salt Lake. So before every practice, we would do power skating. And what was pretty cool is Andy Dice Sr., the coach, he would come out and teach power skating in his street shoes. Didn't know how to skate, <laughs> never would skate, and came out on the ice. We used to go to the old Bountiful Ice Rink and would teach power skating. And every 15, 20 minutes as part of our practice, we would work on power skating. So that team became really good skaters because it was a big focus of ours. Um, a couple other things happened over the years. is Because of his exposure to those guys. He and his wife, his wife was really instrumental. Her name is Lois Dice, and again, the assistant coaches, kind of started putting the notion of college hockey as an alternative of kids in Utah as something that they could do. And so we kind of started thinking about that, and that led on to some of the other things that had happened. That's amazing. And it's amazing that Grant because Sam- Grant Sandbrook played a part in getting me out of Utah as well. Oh, interesting. There were, hmm. uh, uh, Chuck and Dean Grillo... And Grant Stabrook ran camps out of Shattuck St. Mary's uh, when I was in school. Because Grant was, like, at Maine at the time, I think. Or Yeah, I think you're right. He was at Maine at the time. And yeah. he yeah, uh, rings a bell. Anyway, they came here. The Grillos came came through Utah and talked to a bunch of players like uh, me and uh, Bo Garrett, uh, Matt Green. And they're mm. – like, I was a horrible hockey player. At that time, I had – I'm still a horrible actor. I, I got the look from Evan right there. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? But, yeah, but you uh, have the most important thing. You have desire. Yeah, that's what I got. That and attrition. I just wait for everybody else to quit. <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, they they came through Utah at one point, and they just kind of made the offer to anybody that wanted to come to this camp. And uh, Bill Miller, my high school coach at the time, said, "You need to go to this camp if you're going to be our only goalie at Murray High." You need to go to this camp in Minnesota and figure it out. Yeah. And they sent me back there, and then I tried to weasel my way into just staying. Hmm. But Bill Miller paid for me to go. Like, I couldn't afford to go back then. Like, hmm. I was paying my own way through everything. Did you ever have any power skating lessons from Absolutely. Grant Sam? He was every, great. He every, was a great skating coach. So I was there. Grant was there, and I was there for two weeks with him. And every morning, even for the goalies, was skating, which was unique for goalies at the time because goalies were usually like, I'll just go over and. Right. Yeah. Well, goalies were, and this, I mean, we're going to do an episode on this as well. 
because my entire life, goalies were left out of the skating drills, mm-hmm. and goalies were left out of weight room, because they didn't want goalies to be built. They wanted goalies to be flexible. Yeah, so, no one knew what to do. There was there were very few specialized goalie coaches. I remember those days too. Yeah, and yeah. they just so all like, right, get in get in the net and save the puck. Yeah, and then I remember going into the gym and I'm like, uh, like I had been a karate guy, which is kind of how I got put in goal. Anyways, I was the only guy that could do the splits. And they're like, all right, just go over there, and for the first 15 minutes we're in the gym, put your butt on the wall, lay on your back, and let your legs, let gravity pull your legs apart up against the wall <laughs> so that you're limber. That okay. was like the first 15 minutes of all my workouts. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if that, you don't want to work out, that's, that's awesome. Uh, that's some old school workouts there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and those yeah. were the old school days, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's what sure. I was doing. I had, so at my, when I was starting, I had old school coaches at the – back end of their careers so they'd been coaching 60s and 70s and i was this was in the 80s so yeah i got the the end of that i didn't get the new new school guys i did Mm. my our goalie coach when i stayed at shattuck was the guy that actually taught me well that and then um i had some sit downs with uh, paul skidmore oh okay and those are the guys that actually started teaching me a little bit more about actual goaltending rather than just go get in the net yeah so that was those were good times yeah how did uh learning power skating from a guy in tennis shoes work out because that for me i'm visual so if someone explains it and i see them do it i can pick it up so Um, much that's a really good question and what he would do is he would again think think of this guy who's very intelligent very much an academic and very much the kind of guy that would study it right Mm -hmm. so he would study it and he had a very clear way to explain things so he would walk out on the ice we'd be in five lines on the goal line and he would explain it and he would maybe like demo a little bit but what he would do is he would go to some of the stronger skaters and then have them demo it for everyone. Okay. And then that would put it into all of our heads. Okay, that's kind of what we're shooting for there. And then it was just a process of repetition and refinement and practice to really build that skill. So that that was his approach as to how he did it. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I've heard yeah. of other guys. Well, there were NHL coaches that had never played, too, back in the day. And I always wondered that, too. And, and using Bill Miller as an example, who taught our, all of our guys, he didn't know how to skate either. And we'd help him across the rink, and he'd get on the bench, and then just coach us and yell at us. And, and I think uh, Cincinnati had a coach that started as just like a. I think he did like video and just kind of learned the game and worked his way up. And I think he won a Kelly Cup. He might be like an assistant coach in the American League right now. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because there's there there is ar- argument because if you have a guy that is intelligent and you have a guy that is academic, like you're saying, mm-hmm. I mean they figure it out. And, you know, you don't have to be a hockey player to figure out the game and how to tell somebody to break down. In my opinion, it worked really well. And it was, you know, and the reason it worked is because he took a lot of time. He had a lot of patience. He had all the reasons good coaches are good coaches, right? He cared about the kids. He wanted us to improve. Um, He employed elements of competition and getting better, you know, all those reasons. And so it didn't really matter. It just kind of became part of what our experience was, and it seemed very natural and normal. At that point in time, it's funny. Everything you just mentioned right there goes into. I, I just I read a book called The Culture Code. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've read it. It's a leadership book, but it's it talks about getting people to perform above what they should be able to perform, and it and getting them to belong and believe in the group and believe in the process and having that fill of family is 
what makes teams more successful. Yeah, and it, it, go, it, go, it dives deep into <clears throat> sports and into Navy SEALs and into yeah. Google and all these things. But it's just funny as you're listening to these things that that coach did for you, it's like, oh, check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to continue on with the story. So, yeah. you know, that was kind of the the basis of developing our skill was skating, right? And then in those days, um, we would go as a team. We'd bus into Canada, into the Northwest, into Colorado. California didn't have much hockey in those days and do what, you know, travel-type teams or comp teams do today, right? It was all bus and so forth. But as we got older and whatever else, um, some of our guys ended up making it to, like, the USA district hockey camps. I was never a person that got selected for that. Um, some of the other guys on the team, Andy Dice Jr., Maury Moore, Todd Brown, um, names you may recognize, you may not, but oh, guys yeah. of, of my era. But those were some of the most talented guys on the team. And as we got older, um, Andy Dice Sr., the coach, kind of started talking about college hockey, and his wife started talking about college hockey. And he did something really cool. Um, he, as I understand it, and long time ago, so if someone out there knows the a different story, I'll footnote it, say, as I understand it. Um, one of the guys he had met at USA Hockey was Lou Vero. And you guys probably recognize that name because he's been around forever, yeah. right? And so... You know, in those days, got, um, kids weren't coming out of. There were a few kids who were a little bit older than us that had went to the USHL. It was a much more rough and tumble league then, and tried to, uh, you know, had tryouts or opportunities there. I think there was limited success, maybe in terms of what they had. So, for whatever reason, Andy Dice Sr., our coach, and Lou Vero, they found a little boarding school in the south of Sweden at a school called the Grimslav Folkhog School, which translated means the school for the people. A small little, there was probably like 400 kids there, right? And then close to that was a, a town. And over in Sweden, it's a little bit more like Canada. Every small town has a whole youth hockey organization that leads to a senior hockey organization. And so um, the idea was to leave Utah, go to a place um, that had really good hockey and get better. So the first group over there was Andy Dice Jr., the son of, of my coach, and two, uh, one other player, a kid by the name of Dion McClellan. And they went over to Sweden. They played um, for this local town team, a, a town called Alvesta in the south of Sweden. It was Division Three at that point in time. They lived at this boarding school. They kind of skated as part of that boarding school. And then the next year, myself and two other players um, uh, replaced them, and we went over for a year. And again, the idea was to improve, get better, and um, have this experience to be able to come back and to walk on at a Division One school. So this was after you'd graduated high school? This was after I graduated <laughs> high school. So this is what I did in lieu of playing any junior hockey, which right. I never did. It was kind of like a, like a prep school... You, kinda, you, it, it was you explained like a, it to me before. because we, we lived at a prep school, uh, but we competed on the local town team. Okay. Yeah. So we were on the – there was a junior team that they had there, and then they had a, basically a senior team. And they – you know, the t it was really good hockey, but the guys that played on the senior team, some of them were older guys that had worked. There were a few younger guys. And we played other towns in the south of Sweden and, you know, a couple games a week that we would bust to and we practiced three or four days a week or whatever it was. And we, we lived at this boarding school but played for this town team. What did your parents think of this? 
Well, obviously, they were really supportive because at that point in time, um, they were paying the bills, right, <laughs> to, to go there. Right. Um, so they were really supportive. And, and through the coaches and so forth, we got in this in our head that even some kids out of Utah hockey could go on to play college hockey. So we kind of – that was our goal, right? And, yeah. and this was the first step in accomplishing that goal. So what ended up happening, the first two guys, Andy Dice Jr. and Dion McClellan, they came back from Sweden. And Andy Dice Jr., like his father and mother, was a highly intelligent guy. He got accepted into Yale. And he went to Yale. And I don't know if it was a walk-on or if they had recruited him or something like that. And he played, um, for the most part, four years at Yale University. Um, Dion McClellan... Um, came back, and he went to Colorado College, uh, another D1 school, as you guys well know, and he played four years there. He didn't play in as many games, but he was part of the team. He walked on, and he was part of the team for four years. So those were the first two guys. Um, the next year, myself and the two other guys, more and more, Todd Brown, the three of us went to the same town in Sweden with the idea of coming back and playing college hockey. After we finished that experience... Um, this goes back to your question. Um, each of us were looking for opportunities of where we could insert ourselves into Division One college hockey. So my parents helped me talk to six different schools. I talked to DU, Colorado College, Clarkson, and two others that I don't remember. And University of Denver was the only school that opened the door just a little bit. And they basically said, well, okay, we like your background. They had lost two players to the Canadian Olympic team. Kevin Deneen was one of those, oh, wow. who obviously went on to have a huge NHL career. And a guy by the name of Craig Redman. And I, I think that they lost those guys perhaps unplanned, right? It was an Olympic year, and those guys got pulled in there. So, um, And in those days, it was a little bit different. They actually had an open tryout that you could go to. So they said, we're not going to promise you anything come to the school you can try out and you can go from there so i ended up going to denver out of sweden and i can talk more about that experience but then the other two guys more and more he ended up coming back from sweden he got an opportunity at clarkson university and then todd brown got an opportunity at northern arizona university which if you remember yep. for a period of time they had a division one independent team yep. and those guys went on went on there that is unbelievable because I got to admit, as the so-called hockey expert, or at least the only guy with a show, they, I had no idea that all these guys from Utah had played NCAA. All I had heard my entire life growing up was the first guy that played NCAA out of here was Connor Walchuk. Yeah, honestly, yeah. he came after after us and and so forth. And it was a story that kind of got forgotten. So that's why I was excited that you asked me to come on because I wanted to share that story because I think that. Um, certainly it illustrated to other players, other people in our community that it could be done and that there were people that did it. And over the years, a lot of it is, you know, has kind of been forgotten or wasn't told or didn't know. So I was excited yeah. to tell that, to tell that story. But if you think about it, um, you know, I graduated in 1982, so it was the years prior to that. Um, Andy Dice Sr., the coach, his assistant coach, his wife, produced five guys that played Division One hockey, some portion of Division One hockey out of Salt Lake City, Utah, um, between oh. the years of, let's call it, 79 to 82. 
That's unbelievable. Did they coach after this? I mean, were they still? They they ended up, um, so they stayed with us in our core group. And then, you know, it had been a passion and for them. And they ended up coaching after that. There was another group that went to Sweden after myself um, and did the same kind of experience. A guy by the name of Darren Liddell. I don't know if you know yeah. him. Rod Robinson. Um, he hasn't been in Utah a long time. Um, and... Uh, and another guy, I can't remember his name. It was a goalie. He, um, those three went on to Sweden that year. Well, when they came back from Sweden, um, Darren Liddell decided that he didn't want to pursue college hockey. He ended up doing an LDS mission, and he actually got called to Sweden. He went back to Sweden. Oh. Uh, Rod Robinson, I think, this, did the same thing. I think he decided not to pursue college hockey and went on a mission. And I don't know what happened to the goalie. And there might have been one or two guys that went after that, but I don't know. But it was kind of the core group. And then Andy Dice Sr., the coach, I think he did coach for some years after that. But I think it was maybe, you know, his son was gone, our core group was gone. I don't know if they ever got the same core group of people together again. But maybe they did and maybe they didn't. I'm not sure because I ended up moving on. And you know how it is when you're a kid, you didn't keep that close to track. Right. Well, that's that's crazy, and I, I get it because <clears throat> obviously, if you have a group, your kids involved in a group, so you stay with that. Well, just yeah. like what you and I right. did, yeah, we stayed involved <clears throat> with our kids as they went went up, and then mm-hmm. we started kind of learning the tricks. Mm-hmm. And can you imagine if we would have stayed? If you could pick another group, and now that you know the tricks, and you could stay with that group year after year, which probably no other parent would allow because mm-hmm. they want their kids right. to get other, exactly. you know, coaching. But if, now we know tricks to get our kids into college and, and or whatever. And now, by the time the next parents, coaches figure that out, the tricks are going to be, it's all changes. It changes yeah. every year. Yeah, it, it's changed a lot since then. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a unique thing, and it was a small niche sport. Obviously, at that time, we were talking about some of the numbers that you gave me, you know, that hockey number people that play hockey in the state is obviously much higher than it was back in those yep. days and it was a unique time and but it, i i would say there were some really unique people that played a significant part that had some really tremendous success and you know i i like to think that um some of the kids there's been a lot more kids that have gone on to have success out of utah and maybe some of that was that their parents maybe remember some of what i just outlined and said you know what maybe it is possible you know what maybe it is worth it well, yeah, if you guys are the first that went through it, then maybe guys like Connell Walchuk and all those other guys, they ha- they're following your template. Like, yeah, you guys I mean, I always understood Connell Walchuk is, you know, a Canadian family, and the dad had a job here, and they moved here, and yep. they were really good players. You knew them. They were younger than I. One of the Connell Walchucks ended up going to the University of Denver. Yeah, Brian. And I just saw him at this reunion, actually. I never really knew him when he lived here because of our age difference. Um, but we kind of talked a little bit there and then they ended up leaving and going back to Canada, as I understand it. So I kind of think those guys are a little bit of a footnote because they weren't really from here and then they didn't really stay here. Right, right. They ended up leaving. And so, yeah, they had success, but I would, I would call it, they weren't like a group of local kids like we all were. Yeah. I think they did spend a, uh, the kids at least spent a significant part of their youth here. Yeah. And I don't know for sure because I I came in at the tail end of what they were they were doing and there was there was a group kind of like your group that there were like five or 
10 kids a, a part of this group that were mm. three or four years older than I was, and they were okay. doing the same thing. They were blazing a path. They were all going yeah. USHL or right. um, NCAA, and, you know. Yeah, and I mean, you know, again, I think maybe some of what transpired with our group hopefully influenced some of that. And then over the years, it just kind of continued, right? Yeah. And And consistently... I think Utah can be pretty proud of the number of kids that have come out of here that have gone on to achieve quite a bit of success. It's still a relatively small and um, elite group, but it's been fairly consistent, and there's been a fair number of kids. And so, you know, hopefully some of uh, those grassroots things of what happened kind of started some of that moving, and it did play a part. That's kind of my, my personal you yeah, know. I think I'm. I'm gonna have to. I'm not trying to pump your tire or anything, yeah. but I have to believe that that you you your group sparked the idea in other groups, and you know maybe the Connor Walchucks just came here and and maybe they already knew the path, but the rest of those kids that were in that group because you have like Jeff, you had the Levies, yeah, right. Yeah, Jeff Levy got right. out of here, and that was that <clears throat> would have been just slightly after you, and yeah. I don't know what Jeff Nate's story was. I I grew up playing with his brother forever, and you know they were yeah. already super involved with hockey by the time I got involved. With it. I literally had never played a hockey game until yeah. I was a sophomore in high school, but yeah. so I didn't know all the the stuff that had gone on before. But those parents had probably seen that. Hey, yeah, this isn't just a, a money yeah. dump. There is a there is a something right. at the other end of this. Yeah, but so. Your years at DU, your hockey didn't end after that. No, I didn't. And so what happened at DU, I'll tell you that story really quick. So I went to DU. I was invited to to be a walk-on. And, um, you know, like I said, they opened the door. No other school did that. And my objective was, well, I'll go. I'll try out for the hockey. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, I'll be going to a cool school not too far away from home. And I'll just go to, go to school, right? So that was kind of my approach. But my goal was to play college hockey. You know, I ended up being walking onto the team successfully. My first year, my goal was just to make the team, right? Um, all those guys were – most of those guys were all recruited at that time. Um, you know, we did like a month-long training camp and tryouts. So I was uh, – it started as an initial open tryout. That was for a couple days. They selected two or three players from that group, myself being one of them. We joined the big team, and then we spent about the next three, four weeks, kind of like a training camp, being a part of the team, and then they kind of made a final cut, right? So um, myself and one other walk-on survived the final cut. Um, So that started my freshman year. The first nine games of the season, I was a scratch. You know, we had eight, eight defense at that time. That was my position. And uh, what ended up happening is, is uh, a guy, a couple guys got hurt, I think, and all of a sudden there was an opening in the lineup, right? They were only carrying eight defense, and so I got in the lineup and somewhere around the 10th game. I was like the, I'm sure the 6D, you know, yeah. and but just happy to be in the lineup. Um, that first year, I ended up being able to stick in the lineup most after that. Um, and I think I played somewhere around 25 to t- 25 games my first, my freshman year. Um, I came back my sophomore year and, you know, had good learning experience and whatever else. Um, obviously they had recruited new players and so forth. My sophomore year, I played in every game but three games. I got scratched twice 
and I was late to a practice once <laughs> and got scratched according to that and never made that mistake again. Um, I was a walk-on. I was non-scholarship. My junior year, um, our first two years I was there, we really struggled. We didn't win much. Um, there was not a good core part of the team. There was a lot of poor behavior on the team. My junior year, they hired John Harrington, who was on the 1980 Olympic team as an assistant coach, uh, Ba Harrington, if you've seen Miracle. And he came to our school, and our environment on the team had always been kind of loose. And John Harrington came and basically instilled the Herb Brooks dedication, discipline. We're going to outwork every other team. We're going to outskate every team. So we changed our whole model our junior year and became a super hard-working, disciplined team. We had two guys on the team, who one of which was an All-American, Dallas Gom is his name, and another guy, Dwight Mathiason. Um, those guys had become superstars. But my junior year, we had a ton of success. We won the WCHA um, League Championship, the WCHA Tournament, and then we went to the Frozen Four. They called it the Final Four back then. And unfortunately, lost to, lost to Harvard in the semifinal. So I played in every every game that year, had a lot of success. A lot of guys started getting attention that year because we were winning. So there was um, pro scouts coming around. And then <clears throat> my senior year, um, University of Denver awarded me a full-ride scholarship for my senior year, and I played in every game that year. So, you know, I ended up being able to kind of step into the right place at the right time and as I tell my kids, my strategy was nothing other than show up every day, um, work hard, stay out of trouble, and get good grades. And there were other guys who were drafted by the NHL, who had more talent, were recruited by Denver, who you know had injuries for whatever reason. There were guys that had grades. There were guys that came and maybe they just didn't have the passion for it. And I ended up being able to play over those guys. And again, I think it was just... You know, I never missed a practice, and I never missed it um, due to injury or sickness in the four years I was there. I just kept showing up and kept trying, and it ended up working out pretty well. Yeah, that's a good lesson. Yeah, that's good. I don't know yeah. if people realize how much goes into, like, when you get that one opportunity, because that might be all that you have yeah. to really try and seize that. And that's, that's cool that you're able to do that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, I tell that to my kids, right? You know, just just keep showing up, yeah. right? And there's obstacles, there are things that don't go um, in your favor all the time, but you keep showing up, you have a good attitude, and you work hard, and, you know, it worked out in my favor. And, um, you know, it, it ended up being a fantastic experience that I was there. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. 
now available anywhere you get your podcasts. That's awesome. So at what point, was it during your senior year, you started thinking about playing pro? Yeah, so my junior year, we had so much success, or a lot of guys getting pro opportunities that year. And then my my that was my junior year. My senior year, there were still scouts coming around, and um, uh, Dean Lam- uh, is it Dean Lombardi? He's the former general manager of Los Angeles Kings, right? That's yeah. his name, Dean yeah. Lombardi. Yeah. Just make sure I kind of forgot his name there for a second. So anyway, at that point in time, he was a player agent. He signed a couple of the bigger names on our team that year and represented them. And um, he had come to a number of our games and got to know a lot of our guys. So he basically um, came to me, and I think he said, look, I know you're a Salt Lake guy. Um, The Golden Eagles are going to be affiliated with the Calgary Flames. And he said, at at no cost to you, I'm going to see if I can get you um, a tryout with the Calgary Flames. And the story is going to be you're a local Salt Lake kid and you're trying out for the big club in the NHL because the affiliation had just started. And so that ended up happening. And he ended up opening the door for me to go to the Calgary Flames training camp, um, which would have been the fall of 1987. Wow. That's when the Flames were just starting to put it all together yeah right? yeah uh hokan lu what were some of the other names that were there um during that time lanny, lanny mcdonald <laughs> was <course>. still there <laughs> there were some big names that yeah you guys had recognized the names gary if i Suter? could pull them which one gary Suter was he there he was there he was their big d-man at yeah. the time right and uh i went up there for gosh i don't remember two or three weeks part of training camp which was really intense because I didn't really have any training or anyone coaching me on what needed to happen during that experience. So that was a story in and of itself. But, um, yeah, that, that's kind of how I got in, in the door there. And then, uh, you know, what happened there, I can tell if you want, no. but the, the story of, of kind of how I ended up, uh, you know, it led to a contract, not with the Flames, but with the Salt Lake Golden Eagles at that time. And there were... You know, I came back, and that's exactly how they did it. There were stories on uh, Channel 4 News in the newspaper, local kid went to the University of Denver, I tried out for the Flames, now playing for the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. So that, that was kind of what had happened. But I can tell you the uh, training camp story if you're interested. I, we're absolutely interested. All right. So go up to the Flames training camp, and there's roughly like 60 guys there, right? you probably know and and this is my only experience so you know they create four teams of like 15 guys and they pretty much go right into games and um you know you have obviously the elite guys who are the guys that are known entities all the way down through guys who have been drafted through guys like myself who are long shot free agent guys right and um go into four teams start playing games and whatever else so um, I was doing okay, I think, you know, in the tryout. I, I had low expectations. I was there to maximize the experience. Yeah, I wanted to, to – I, I certainly knew I wasn't going to play on the Calgary Flames, but my goal was to, if I could play pro hockey for the Solid Golden Eagles, that would be a good goal, right? So anyway, as the camp progressed, one of the scouts came up to me. There was a rookie game between the Calgary Flames um, – rookies and the Edmonton Oilers rookies. 
And before the game, he came up to me and he said, you know, you're a big, big kid. You, you play pretty physical. Um, you know, but he said, you got to fight. Can you fight? Yep. Can you fight? Right. Of course. And, you know, I mean, as Jay knows, I would always get and mix it up a little bit in, in my playing style and whatever else. But I certainly didn't grow up in an environment like Canada where you're playing major junior, where you're fighting all the time. So largely inexperienced in terms of really dropping your glove and really fighting. So anyway, he comes to me and he tells me that before the game. So before the game, I'm all amped up, right? And I'm like, I want to make the team and whatever else. So the game starts going back and forth. I was playing well. I was having a good game, whatever else. Um the Edmonton rookie team come down, you know, they put pressure on the net. And one of the, I don't even remember the guy's name. Um, so he's pressure on the net. You know, I play him physical, right? Move him out of front of the net, kind of get into pushing and shoving. So drop the gloves and start fighting, right? And he was a rough and tumble Canadian <laughs> farm kid yep. who was really experienced. Being big enough and strong enough, I did okay in the fight, Right. So we fall after, you know, you fight, we fall to the ground, and we're wrestling, he's pissed off. So the refs are trying to pull us apart. He somehow gets his finger into the tip of my nostril, and he pulls my nostril as hard as he can and rips my <laughs> nostril apart. What? Yeah. So um, I go off the ice. I go into the Edmonton Oilers locker room because we're playing whatever the name of the building was there. I see like all the Edmonton Oilers superstars in their locker rooms, Gretzky and um, who were some of the other names at that time. Gary Curry. Yeah, yeah. And all those guys, right? I'm laying on a training table in their locker room and the guy's stitching up my nostril. Oh. So I come back out on the ice, continue the game. And I go out on the ice with the same guy I fought. He's still pissed off. So we're in the offensive zone. I'm up on the point. Puck comes to me. I kind of see in the back of my eye this guy float around. I shoot to the net. The next thing I know was a flash of light. He punches me right in the eye. Never saw it coming. And I just saw a flash of light. I just grabbed him and just fell over backwards. And he got my eye so solid, it immediately swelled up. And he undid the stitches in the tip of my nose. So I had to get them re-stitched. But the point of the story was, after that, I ended up getting an opportunity and getting a contract to come play for the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. So it was a bloodthirsty environment. I somehow survived. I guess I showed enough toughness and enough whatever else, grit, desire, that ended up facilitating into an opportunity to play for the Golden Eagles. So that that's kind of the the core of the story right there. So I just pulled up the uh, the roster of the 1987 Calgary Flames, and you've got like Al McInnes, like we said, Lanny McDonald, Joey Mullen, uh, Joel Otto. I mean, you've got some uh, Neil Sheehy, who's now a, a yeah. big agent. Gary Roberts, Gary Suter. That's right. I mean, these are some huge names in the game of hockey. They were all there. Was it that year or the year after? I think it was... um, Two or three, I feel like. Yeah, it might have been that year that they won. Um, The other interesting thing that happened at training camp there 
that I always remember is Theo Fleury came to training camp that year. And prior to the whole Edmonton story that I just told, we went on, we went over and met um, the Vancouver Canucks rookies somewhere in Penticton or something like that up in the mountains up there and had a rookie game. And Theo Fleury was part of the team there. And I just remember um, getting to know him a little bit. And back in those days, it was in his wild man phase, right? And he, you know, small guy, but fiery. And I think we all know his story and so yeah. forth. Um, but he was part of training camp. I think they ended up sending him to junior. But towards the end of the season, they brought him to Salt Lake. You yep. probably remember oh, this. Yeah. And he lit it up. And he never looked back after that, right? He was called up and played however long he played in the NHL. But that was kind of cool to to meet him and um, see him compete and then see all his success, too. It's funny, and I'll, I'll have to get the exact numbers on it because I talked about this on the last show, uh, the impact that he had on this market. for yeah. When you think about it, and I and I, I say it, 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 I literally know four kids named Theron because right. their parents are my age, yeah. and they went to the Salt Palace and saw Theron Fleury play and thought he was the greatest player in the world. And like I said, my first year of hockey, my number was nine because that's what Fleury wore oh, here. Oh, interesting. And I was like, I just want to be like that guy. Yeah. It was unreal. And he probably played 25 games here because he played a little bit that first season. Yeah. The second season, because they pulled him up from juniors, and I think he played playoffs for the <coughs> Eagles that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the second season, they pulled him up, and he was gone on New Year's Eve and never came back. Like, right, they, right. I, they played here that New Year's Eve, and they had a party at the Salt Palace that the fans were going to, mm-hmm. and... They said that that night. They're like, "Yeah, he's gone." Yeah, he was electric to watch, right? And oh, then, man. and then he had all the bravado. I mean, the guy was like five six, but then he wasn't scared of anyone yeah. as well. So super talented, super fast, fun to watch. And then he was not and not afraid to mix it up. Either. I've sent, I've messaged back and forth with him about having him come on that'd the podcast cool. and yeah. talk too, because yeah, we've had Truno be on here, and yeah, you know, we've we've talked about a lot of the Salt Lake Golden Eagle stuff. Right. And it would be unreal to have him on here. He has criteria that I have to get approved here. Because he really wants to, you know, he's got his agenda that he's pushing oh, now. Right, right. And we're a soft, we're we're soft the way we talk about stuff. So yeah. I don't know how to. Well, it might. Know how to talk he, about he's um, he might be a big name too. I don't know. Compensation might be a factor too. Uh, yeah, no, he he's never he's never <laughs> yeah, talked about. He, we have to plug his book. Oh, okay. And we have to talk about his book, which is I'm totally cool with. It's a right. great book. But he wants he and especially with what's going on in the NHL right now, because mm-hmm. I mean this has been within the last few weeks. Sure, tied to his experience. Yeah, yeah, with with he wants to talk about that stuff, and I want to too. I yeah, I would love to end that. You and I have our we've had our run-ins with bad coaches here, and coaches that have a history of abuse that we didn't want our kids around, and which is why you and I went out and did yeah coach different <laughs> organizations. And I think that should be known, and I think we should talk about it, but I have to be careful with what I say on a family sure. show. So. Yeah, absolutely. But I want him on the show. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Plus, I just want to get to talk to the guy. Like, yeah. I can't – I message a lot of guys that were – you know, I, I talked to a bunch of guys. Like, I was talking to Garrett Sparks last night, who's a goaltender for the Las Vegas Knights. Okay. And so I have these conversations that I think are cool. I'm talking to NHL guys. But it was special to get a message back from Theron Fleury. Yeah, like special to me because it's like he was an idol of mine growing up. Sure. So, and that's got to be the same with a lot of people in this. Market. Yeah, and you have to admire everything he's done. Yeah, without a doubt. You know, especially a, when you're in a book tough, and you realize what he's tough, gone through. Yeah, tough, tough uh, road. You know, yeah. without a doubt. So, which is yeah, cool. which is why he wants to push so hard and wants. And I totally get it. And I, w- I want to. 
I want to yeah. support it, and I want to talk to him. I want to interview him. So exactly. that's cool. That's yeah, a, Chern- that's you, you said Chernamaz. He was the captain the yeah. year that I played here. And then a couple other names that were interesting when I played here, and maybe some of the other guys you had have brought it up. But uh, I sat right next door, uh, right next to Stu Grimson oh, yeah. in the locker room. <laughs> so another guy I'm talking about. Another show, another on the right book. Side. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I, got a, I got a story about Stu. What's if, if you got a, got a second, so um, he's a really intelligent guy, and you guys probably know he went on after his playing career to become. He went to law school and got his law degree, right? And really intelligent guy, smart guy, and we all know his hockey background and so forth. And he and I got to know each other a little bit and friends and, you know, because I'm a local guy, my parents live here. So one off day, I invite him over to my house for dinner, right? And my mom makes dinner and he comes over and he's very pleasant and we have good conversation and whatever else. And my parents ask a question and and he like talks about um he's like yeah you know i I do a lot of fighting and but i say i don't i don't like it i don't like to fight i don't like being that guy that has to always fight and whatever else i'm i remember like saying some things why do you do it you know whatever else and he's like ah, it's just my job and i'm expected to do it and whatever else and i'm like man that's really interesting this tough guy who fights a lot kind of said that right good at it yeah really good (laughs) at it right okay so the next game we play I'm on the bench. Something happens on the ice. And he drops the gloves. He starts fighting the guy. And they go down after the fight. And the ref has his arms tied up. And the other guy's down on the ice as well. And Stu had lost his helmet in the fight. So his arms are tied. And the guy he just fought, he starts headbutting the guy with no helmet on. (laughs) And the guy had a helmet on. So the guy that just told me he didn't like to fight, and the next fight that he was on, takes it all the way to the level where he's headbutting a guy with a helmet with no helmet. Wow. So I always remembered that. And then, of course, the rest of the story is, you guys know, he went on to fulfill that role highly successfully in the NHL for how many years? Yeah, ten, for a long time. Ten or whatever else. So Yeah, the, yeah, the Grim yeah. Reaper. Everybody knows. He, yeah, just, he just published a book, too. Oh, he did. Yeah, so we're trying to get – we're going to get – I guess that's going to be our thing now. Yeah, he's in Nashville, right? Book. Yeah. Because uh, I know he was doing... He's, he's color commentator for... Is it the Predators? Predators. Yeah. And then, but then he started doing some work for the NHL Network, yeah. too. I, yeah. And I think he might I've be... I've seen him on there. He's yeah. he's a very, very articulate guy, and um, I haven't had any contact with him, but I was always impressed with him because he was a really talented, smart guy. In addition to everything else he did, you wouldn't always put that together, but... No, it's yeah. funny because one of my friends that was a fighter in the NHL for 12 years is also one of the smartest guys I've ever known is George Peros. Oh, okay. The same thing. He got his undergrad and then went back and got his MBA from mm-hmm. Princeton, and now mm-hmm. he's the head of player safety for the NHL. Oh, but wow. He had he has his own clothing company. His He helps his dad with like marketing, some food thing. Like He's super successful because he's really smart. Yeah. And you never you look at him, and he looks like a big biker dude, and you wouldn't think, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess you just – it's our, we just fill in the gap, right? You see a big guy with a big mustache that fights all the time, and you don't figure he's that right, smart. exactly, yeah. And it turns out, like, he's intimidatingly smart. Yeah. When yeah. you talk to him, you're like, oh, he probably thinks, he doesn't think a lot of me because I'm not on his level of intelligence. <laughs> How yeah. often did uh, kind of things happen where you're like, that's just wild? Because I know from when I first started till now, it's kind of gotten tamed. Right. And, I mean, you were right. even... Like to me, that's still like slap shot. Yeah, exactly. Type that's of more antics old school on and off kind of the thing. ice. How how often did things 
like that fairly happen. often at that yeah. time because I remember one another time was a game in Salt Lake and it turned into a five on five fight right on mm-hmm. the ice and I think I I was one of the guys that started I go in the corner I don't remember the player's name it was a smaller guy but he was a tough guy he liked to fight right so I go I check check him in the corner he kind of comes after me we we ended up fighting i got in 10 fights that year i think i lost most of them but <laughs> at the end of the day um i did okay and whatever else and that time he really pissed me off right so it's a lot easier to fight when you're angry you than, see red. yeah exactly <laughs> if you're not mad that's a bad time to fight yeah. <clears throat> i fought mark tenorti one time too when okay. i wasn't mad so that wasn't a good fight <laughs> um so anyway i kind of went after him on the way to the penalty to the penalty box and it turned into a five on five right and there was a big melee going on um some other guy i ended up getting paired with some other guy so there's i don't know i don't think there were five fights going on there were at least three going on maybe the other guys were just paired up right so i get paired up with another guy and by that time i was really tired because i'd played a shift i'd fought a guy i was breathing super heavy and i get paired up with a new guy and this guy knocks me down, and I was on my back on the ice, and he was on top of me. And the refs were with, scary. Yeah, they're busy. with other fights, right? <laughs> that guy could have ripped into me, and there would have been no one around. I don't remember who his name was, and he didn't. And he basically, he stopped. Yeah, but, that's good at least. Yeah, I mean, there. I think back in those days, there was still enough of that going on that it was, you know, it was still of that, the old era, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... Yeah, you don't see that anymore, um, which is probably a good thing, right? I mean, the game's so much skill and talent now; it's a lot different. So, I kind of think if if it were me in today's world, I probably wouldn't have had the success now that I did then because I fit better in that old world. I think. You know? I was trying to look up your penalty minutes just now. I couldn't find there. Oh, I don't know if you know this, but there's more than one guy named Eric Johnson. Uh, there is. I think I, I <laughs> There's didn't like get two that in the many. NHL right now. Yeah, so what happened in – I played that year for the Salt Lake Golden Eagles. I think I played in – I can't remember, at least 40 games, something like that. Then they brought in uh, – some different guys got scratched. Um, a guy by the name of Ryerson, I think was his name. I don't remember. He came off the Canadian Olympic team. I ended up getting scratched a bunch. And um, that was a championship year, though, right? That was a championship year, and so I played forty games, at least forty. I think it was forty three, forty five on that championship team. But I never got my name on the Turner Cup. I should probably, technically, I should probably be able to get it on there, right? I played. Did you play games. playoffs? No, I didn't play in the playoffs because what? That's what I was going to say. What ended up happening is they shipped me off to Milwaukee Admirals. Oh, I see that right now. That's season. why I didn't know yeah. that was you. Okay, yeah. all right, yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 32 games. It says you have 32, 32 games okay. and 58 pims. Okay, there you go. That's not bad. And then uh, seven, 17 games with Milwaukee. Yeah. And so you played, why only one year pro? Was that your choice or not your choice? Well, so after my time in Milwaukee, um, I, uh, I didn't have anyone knocking down my door. Um, there was, I had one opportunity, Indianapolis had a team. There was a the coach was it there. The Comets then, the Racers. Oh, Racers, right? That was Fort Wayne. There was a coach the there, Reg something or other. He was a Red real Berenson? tough guy. No, I can't remember what his name was. Anyway, he said I could come and try out for the for the. I think it was still in the IHL for the for their club. You know, I had 
limited success. I had some success, success, but um, not that much. So I'm like, okay, well, what do I want to do next? So I started thinking about Europe. And um, I started networking with some of the guys that I knew and played. And uh, one of the guys I played at the University of Denver, John McMillan, who was a really strong player at the time I was there, he had played the previous season in Austria, and he was not going to go back to that team. And he had got asked to join a team in northern Italy um, in the uh, nearest city called Bolzano. The name of the town is Valgardena. Um, Selva. They still have a team. Yeah, Yeah, they still have a team. And none other than Daryl Olson played there as well at that team after I did, um, which was interesting. But uh, anyway, long story short, John McMillan had this opportunity to play for Selva in Valgardena. And he said, yeah, you should talk to the guys. I think they're still looking for one other guy. And I was able to uh, get an opportunity to go play that next season over in northern Italy. And John McMillan, who I knew in college, he and I were roommates, and we were two of the foreign players on that team. And had a great year. The hockey wasn't that great because in Italy at that time, there was Division One and Division Two. This was a team in Division Two, So, like, our University of Denver team probably would have beat our team pretty soundly. But we went over there. We had a great experience. We only skated five days a week. Um, we had an apartment. We had a car. We had a meal a day. And we had a fair amount of free time. And so he and I, in our weekends or time off, we would, like, pick a city and hop in our car and drive to Bologna in Italy or drive over into, at that time, what was Yugoslavia or go up to Munich or something like that. Oh, that's cool. Had a, had a great experience. And, um, and uh, you know, we weren't paid a ton. Back then, it was Italian lira, so I've always said I was a millionaire. The only problem was it was in Italian lira. <laughs> so at that point, 1,300 Italian lira made up a dollar. So it didn't take oh, very right. many yeah. lira to be be a million. Anyway, uh, so that was the experience there. And um, after that, my dad was kind of saying, you know, your hockey career isn't really <laughs> on the way up. He said, you know, before you get older and whatever else, you might want to think about getting a real job. And I figured that was probably pretty good advice, and that was the last year I played right. uh, competitively was that season in Italy. So it was a good way to end, and it was a lot of fun. That's not, like that's just an amazing story, all of it. I'm glad I'm glad we got the opportunity to tell it. Well, I'm glad I had the opportunity to share it too, especially the one about growing up because um, I've always uh, appreciated everything. That those coaches, Andy Dice Senior, um, his wife Lois Dice, the assistant coaches, did for us kids because they um, were there for us a lot of years, and you know it's kind of one of those things that people have forgotten about. So it, it was great to have an opportunity to share that because there were some people that gave a lot of themselves to a lot of people over that time. Yeah. And I was one of the people that benefited from that. Yeah, it really broke down some doors. Yeah, and yeah. that's and paved. Paved the road for those that didn't know at the time, and then it just keeps getting paved. And now we have more players than we've ever had playing NCAA yeah, right great. now. I mean, we've it's got great a ton. To see. Yeah, it's been some great success. Speaking of that, where's uh, where's your son playing this year? So my son <coughs> is uh, he's a 21 year old freshman, and he's playing at Fredonia University, which is in the State University of New York Division NCAA Division Three. Um, so they're all state schools in New York that are in that league. So he's uh, Playing there, it's his freshman year. He has a game tonight, actually, game tomorrow. Um, 
and he's having a pretty good experience there so far. Knock on wood. He's, um, I think they've had six games he's been in the lineup, five out of six. Oh, very cool. And uh, I was, just... Uh, he's is he just, playing your kind of hockey? He's a big kid, too. He's a big kid. He's uh, 6'5 now. You know, the problem is when you play that kind of hockey, you're in the box all the time. And coaches don't like it when you're in the box. So, you know, a lot less, right? Yeah. I think he can play physical. Um, he has better hands than I ever did, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that it's a different game now. And he's had to adjust to that different level of game. So. Um, he's done well, and he's thankful for the opportunity that he has to play there. And, um, you know, it's his first year, and I just keep t- telling him, take it a year at a time, right? Just keep showing up. Keep showing up, work hard. Work yeah. hard, stay out of trouble, do well in school, and, um, you know, that's so far what he's doing. And Very cool. Yeah, we'll see see how, where it leads and how I'm it goes for him. Glad to see him playing there. That's where Chris Jung went. Is it? Yeah, I went and visited him. I had fun there. I went there oh, for really? a weekend. Yeah, oh, you one did? of my friends who oh, played yeah. there. Yeah. It's a cool little campus. Yeah. It's like yeah. 5,000 students, and it was designed by an architect. I don't know his name is, but there's a lot of open space, and oh. the town is really small, but it's <coughs> about uh, 45 minutes outside of Buffalo, New York. So that's kind of nice because you have that accessible there, you know, for an airport. If you want to get out of the town, you have you can go were to they, a bigger city. Were they one of the schools that just had to change their mascot, too? Weren't they? They're the Fredonia Blue Devils, so I don't think they had to. I thought I nothing know. that I yeah okay. nothing I haven't seen anything like that. I think Blue Devils is still allowed. Well, yeah, but I, I guess <laughs> they've been the Blue Devils. The I whole think time? so. Yeah, okay. I think so. I, I thought think they, were, they have yeah. the Indians or something. I went after the season. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> after the season, yeah. Well, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a good, it's a good league. That uh, SUNY league, I think, is a good league. And yeah, we've um, had a few Utah players play there. And uh, yeah. besides Jong, there was uh, Zach Hill. Zach Hill, Buffalo, Buff State. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So we just keep having more and more players. That yeah, it's just awesome. It well, is. that's good for honors. That's we're proud every time a, a player gets there, and we'll make sure we're we're talking about because we're going to do weekly updates. And everybody's playing NCAA anything. We talk about and update and yeah. let people know how that's going and. Yeah, and my daughter, uh, Erica Johnson, she is 16. She'll be 17 in January. She plays on the Utah Lady Grizzlies U19 AA team. So she started when she, just a little bit before 9, and she's really grown into the game too, and she oh. has a ton of fun. And the Utah Lady Grizzlies run a really good program, and um, she had some really good experiences so far. And you know, I think um, she's hopeful to get an opportunity to play somewhere. Doesn't really know what that is yet or where that's going to be, but um, she enjoys the game. And it's it's fun as a parent to have had a son that has had an experience in youth hockey growing up and then have a daughter that's had the experience because it's, it's a lot two different experiences. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? And so it's been cool to have them both involved in – in hockey, and so it'll be fun to see where she um, ends up playing too. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity if they, you know, especially <clears> if she's already playing on that that competitive level. There seems to be at that age. There seems to be by the time yeah. you're 18, there's <clears> some good scholarship offers. Yeah, I think the you know the nice thing about the Utah Lady Grizzlies girls program is there's pretty much only one girls association in the state, right? So it's kind of like when I played. The all those girls that want to play and are serious about playing are playing for that one organization. And there's less, um, what I would say, cannibalization of having multiple orgs at the boys' level. You know, one year 
a lot of the kids are at one association and then they jump over to another, so it's harder for them to be competitive. So this team does a really good job in the AA tournaments that they go to. They end up, they compete really with every team that they play, and we've gone to tournaments in California and Wisconsin and Chicago. And, you know, they usually come home at least 500, and the games they lose, they're close games. So they've been Perfect. pretty pretty That's competitive. Good. Yeah, no, and there's, exactly there's a couple girls, um, one of the girls... Last year went to, I think there's two Utah girls on uh, the Trine University. It's a D3 yeah, school Katie in Clare Indiana. And, yeah. 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 We had Kitty on, on the show. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. a great opportunity. Yeah. And there's a few others out there that are playing. Um, I don't think anyone from Utah has made Division One yet at the girls' level, but there's some D3. Cami Cote. Oh, right. She was at, in Vermont when I was in Vermont. <coughs> oh, really? Oh, okay. I, I'm assuming she probably still has... Every women's school record there. She was. Oh, really? Oh, they didn't have the I strongest program. She was legitimately the best goalie in NCAA so at the time. Averaging by maybe far. 50 shots and against. She, she grew up here? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah uh, what, what years was that? Fantastic goalie. What years were you at Vermont? I was there <clears throat> 304 to 06, 07, and I think we had t- a two year overlap, maybe. Yeah. I think. Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't. I yeah, know, she's I phenomenal. Then she went out to coach at the University of North Dakota. And oh, great. Now she runs, she does like, uh, I don't know, she, uses, she I think she has a master's degree. She teaches, I know she goes to my wife's school and teaches handicapped kids on. Okay, so she's uh, back here. Uh, occupational therapy. That's what I was looking for. That's the word mm-hmm. I was looking for. Mm-hmm. She's, uh, yeah, and she was an amazing goaltender. And I remember because that was during one of the Olympic years, and she clearly should have been, if not the starter, at least on the Olympic program. And they just overlooked her. They already had their team. And she was setting every record. And like like Evan said, she was on a team where she was putting up 50 saves a game and winning games 2-1. Oh, wow. That's there great. was one weekend they went to Wisconsin. <clears throat> I don't remember what the numbers were, but they were staggering. Yeah. How many mm-hmm. shots she, she faced and turned away. Yeah. I assume she obviously grew up playing boys here at that yeah. time, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. And she had two tough brothers that, yeah, just uh, – yeah, it was awesome. She's she's a phenomenal story. We're gonna have, we're, oh, that's great. She was actually supposed to be in here oh, two weeks ago. Her that. babysitting fell through. Oh. We're definitely going to get her on. She's, she, she's got amazing stories. Like, oh. And then I coached NCAA Division One. She was hmm. phenomenal. Hmm. And that's a cool. huge success yeah, story for us. Well, Eric, is there anything else? I mean, what would you say to kids now that are that are trying to blaze their path? I kind of have an idea what you're going to say. <laughs> but what would you well, say? Well, yeah, though? I mean, that would be the obvious, right? You know, keep working, keep trying, keep going. You know, the other thing I tell my kids a lot, and I think that would be an experience that is uh, or would be uh, indicative of my experience, right, is that I think you have to love the game. And a lot of times, because everyone's going to have those times that you know when things maybe don't work out, right, or there's more adversity (laughs) than you want, you know, or you get shipped off or you do whatever, and or you're you barely make a team or you're not in the lineup and those things suck right or you get beat up or you get hurt or whatever and i think the only really thing that separates the people that well there's there's more than one but i think one of the things that separates the people that really um can complete their experience playing hockey versus those that maybe cut it short is loving the game, is loving to go to practice, is loving to be a part of it. Just like you, you, you still play. You play because you love the game. You know, 
I still play because at the core, I love the game, and I always have, and I love being around it. And okay, I'm no good anymore, but at the same time, it's still fun to go to the rink and be around the guys and have some level of competition. So I think loving the game is is really important. Obviously, that's some you can't tell someone to love something and have them do it. But I just noticed that over the years, as I look at people. Maybe one of the reasons that I was able to have the success that I did, it wasn't because I had more talent. Maybe, and it wasn't always because I stayed out of more trouble or worked harder because it wasn't like I was the hardest worker. But maybe the difference was the passion. And that's what kind of kept me going. And, and when those times when you weren't having as much success. So that would be an observation that I think would be relevant. If you love the game and you're willing to keep going, uh, you can keep finding the opportunities. You just got to have the endurance to keep hanging in there and keep loving the game. Yeah. Perfect. That's true. Evan, you got anything else to add? No. It's, uh, this was a fun one. It's interesting to talk to someone that played in the minors at in that era. and Because yeah. I think <laughs> the things that happened back then are just awesome and wild to me, and it's it's fun to hear. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's the thing. And, man, I... I didn't know a lot of that, and it's it's crazy to to hear it. And I didn't know we had that many guys that had gone through, and so I'm just glad we got to have you. And like I always planned on talking to you. You're, when I when I first submitted the the plan for this show, <laughs> I submitted uh, 20 names of people that I knew right off the top <clears throat> of my head that I was going to interview. Yeah, and you were on there, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I I want to interview Eric and, and and talk to him, and. As I started setting up the rest of the season, I'm like, man, I still haven't got to like the top five guys that I had on my li- my list from last mm-hmm. year. So, I, like, I knew you had a great story, and I didn't know it was going to be this like this deep, colorful. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I bet, and like Evan <clears throat> said, man, I bet if we brought you in again and just sat down and talked and just told minor league stories because that was such a different game back then. Yeah, and I, was. I don't know how many of the youth of today could stomach it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, real quick. Playing like that. So here, just to your point, I'm just going to throw this in. So Paul Baxter was the coach of the Salt Lake City Golden Eagles at that time. So this, this tells of the era that you guys just mentioned. So um, he was a super intense coach, right? Mm-hmm. And um, so what he used to do is in between periods, well, there were a couple things that happened. One, the goalie that we had at that time, his name was Mark Brindamore. Yeah. Do you remember that name? Oh, yeah, I remember Mark. Do you remember what his nickname was? was sh- his his nickname was Shaky. Shaky, yeah. And the reason he would, like, come in in between periods and, you know, like, he'd get a lot of shots, and he'd be really intense. So he would, like, start shaking because he was, like, really competing in the heart of the moment, and so that's how he got his nickname. Well, he would sneak out of the locker room and go have a cigarette to calm him down. So that was one thing. So that kind of <laughs> spoke to the era. The other thing is Paul Baxter would always have a chew in while he was coaching, right? Oh, yeah. So then he would come in between periods and he'd go have a smoke on top of the chew that he still had in his mouth. So it was just like, you know, when you talk about an era, that's kind of an era thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll never forget the first time I got invited to, uh, I went to training camp. So this was when the Eagles were still, or the Grizzlies were in the AHL. I get a phone call one day and they're like, hey, we, we need you to come practice for the Grizzlies today. And then we're going to send you to Idaho tomorrow because the goalie's coming up from Idaho. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. You know, this is my first e-bug experience or whatever. So this would have been 1998. And I I came in and I skated with the Grizzlies and it was cool. And then I got sent down to Idaho and immediately pulled into Idaho, practiced, 
And I was sitting, not in a normal goalie stall, but next to these three Russian guys that the Idaho Steelheads had just signed that were Dallas Stars <laughs> draft picks. And as I'm sitting there, they this is during training camp. So they're, they're doing two-day skates. Everything's hard. And the, two, the three guys, the Russians, put on their soakers, their skate guards, walk out the side of the building, and light up. They all... This is in between like two right, days skate. Right. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. And then the first things they were learning to say in English was like, where do I buy smokes? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Here I am. I'm trying. Like, I, right. I wasn't as old as I am now, obviously, then, and I was in a lot better shape, but it was still kicking my butt. I could not yeah. imagine walking out there. But I also know firemen that would walk out of a fire, pull off their masks, and then light up a cigarette. And you look at them, they're like, no, bad smoke in there, good smoke right here. <laughs> it's like, oh. Different generations, the irony, right? yeah. Different yeah, generations. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Eric. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for for coming on and uh, enlightening all of us to the path that was uh-huh. that was set before us. Because that's well, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm glad that you asked me in. And um, secretly, I was hoping that you would um, because really? I wanted to share some of those stories, but I didn't want to ask you if I could be on. Why so well, you, well, I don't know. I, I didn't just didn't feel. You, I just didn't just really. Show up. Just yeah, yeah. I, hey, Jay, can I be on your podcast? You know, I just wanted it to happen naturally. So I'm glad that it did, and I'm glad that uh, I had the opportunity to speak with you both and uh, share some of those stories. And um, hopefully, they'll live on for a few more years. Absolutely. Well, no, you were always on the list. You were, uh, or you were supposed to be one of our top twenty interviews, but it just got crazy. So many. Sure. That's great. So it's many great things you're doing happen. This. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's great you're doing this. So great idea. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, I'm glad we have this avenue to, to share what's really happening in Utah hockey because people, and when we talk about it, and and you'll see, like I I published an article a little while ago on KSL Sports about uh, NHL teams eyeing Utah to put their AHL team in. And the comments that got put on there were so, mm. like, people don't understand the grassroots of hockey that are already here and how many people in this area play hockey or watch hockey or care about hockey. And it's people like, oh, AHL will never work here. One, it already did. Yeah. The only reason it didn't is because all the teams left. But there are so many teams in the West now. Like, the NHL teams have realized that. They bought teams. I think the... There are enough hockey players here now, and because of the grassroots that's been done here and the passion for the game that exists here, and I think the AHL would work here, and I, I think that uh, I, I, this has been an avenue for people to kind of get an idea of what really is happening in hockey. Because when you, most people don't realize that we have so many players playing NCAA <laughs> Division One through Division Three, they don't realize that we have so many girls. They don't realize that we have you know two guys under NHL contract right now, and I. I would be surprised if Halloran wasn't signed somewhere. Yeah, yeah, he'll get an opportunity somewhere. Probably. You know, so yeah. I know we're going to have more guys playing at high levels of hockey here soon, and it's just going to yeah, continue no, I agree to grow. With you. I think it could work too. There's, uh, there's the right fan base there. They just have to be reignited a bit. So, yeah. hopefully, someone figures that out when it happens. Yeah, and I, yeah, with the right marketing team and the right, the right product. Exactly. I think, it's, I think it'll be <clears> there. Yeah, I All agree right. with you. Okay, Eric, well, we definitely went a little longer than we normally do, but, man, you had a great story, and I'd love to have you in again. I'd love to hear more stories about the... the, (laughs) Me too. I think you got my best ones, so I don't know how many more I have after that, so I... I bet you're going to go home. I bet you go home you're going to go like, oh, I should have told him this, because that's usually what happens. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I'll let you know if it does. Okay, well, uh, thank you guys all for listening, and uh, Eric, thanks for coming in. Evan, thanks for being a a co-host. Hopefully you're not here next week. 
Yeah, uh, satellite then. I'll just Skype in. That'll be perfect. That'll be perfect. (laughs) Thanks, guys. And that's it for the Utah Puck Report.